But Exodus 6, uh, after Easter, does that seem like a long ways away? We will be returning to the book of Matthew. A few years ago, I started a series through the book of Matthew, uh, but I will be returning to it. But at this time, I feel, I I believe, led to to continue with Exodus. Uh, We have, in the fall, looked at the first six chapters which tell the story of Moses' birth and also his call to mission and ministry as a covenant partner. Um, God seems very distant. He seems in the background, but he's, he's really there all along, and we get to see him move to the foreground uh, in the mountain, experience of engaging with Moses. Uh, Moses is not an adequate covenant partner. He, he really surprising that God would call him anyway but he does so and it's not it doesn't go real well with the call of Moses because Moses nearly loses his life because he keeps resisting he keeps uh, disobeying the call of God and finally Moses breaks down and surrenders his will to the Lord and he dedicates himself wholeheartedly to the Lord that doesn't mean he's perfect but his intentions are I think at this point that he would serve the Lord with all his heart. Uh, He goes to Egypt, and from his perspective, uh, Moses' first encounter with Pharaoh seems to be a royal failure. Pharaoh asserts his sovereignty and shakes his fist in the face of Moses and ultimately God, saying, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Pharaoh retaliates and orders more bricks to be built and not to supply the people with the straw to make them. Moses is incredibly devastated. And he looks upward to God and says to God, How shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Now that phrase might be an attempt, we might think that we know what that's saying regarding competence, but it's actually referring to character. As I've argued in other sermons, Moses is fully aware of the holiness of God. He knows that he is inadequate in order to be a messenger of the divine one to stand in front of Pharaoh. Moses is fully aware and bewildered that God would call him into service And he begins to wonder whether or not he's the weakest link. If it's possible that this is failing because he isn't adequate. Yet God disagrees with Moses. And a plain reading of the text that we're going to read this morning demonstrates this to be the case. Let's let's look at the text. We'll read it and kind of help set us up for the main points of the sermon this morning. Verse 28, chapter 6, we read this. Verse 26, rather, of chapter 6. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said. Now, just in the previous verses, there's a genealogy that interrupts the flow of the storyline. But that's done on purpose. And now there's a reference to these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. 
It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them, Moses and Aaron did so. And they did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And I'll read the last part when we get to it in our sermon this morning. Moses is, is he the weakest link? Is he the cause of why this mission seems to be failing? God disagrees with Moses' assessment And as I said, a plain reading goes like this. Was it that Pharaoh refused to listen to Moses because he came from the obscurest part of Israel? Well, no. No, no. This Moses and this Aaron are related to Levi, a chief member, a tribal leader. It's the great-grandson of Levi. Now, I didn't take the time to read all the names in the preceding verses, but that's what's being communicated. That this this Moses, this Aaron is not a nobody. This is a somebody in the land of Egypt. And if we remember the heritage of Moses, he had been scooped up and raised in the palace of Pharaoh himself. He was not a nobody. He had a very clear place of leadership, and it wasn't the reason, though, that Moses was unsuccessful. Pharaoh did not listen to Moses because he was an inadequate covenant partner either. See, Moses, in verse 30, he said, you know, Lord, I, 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 I'm not worthy. I have uncircumcised lips. I can't, I can't stand there in front of Pharaoh. and I can't, I'm, I'm unworthy. And God says, no. It's not because you're an inadequate leader and it's not because you, you, you know, you're unworthy covenant partner. God says, look, I'm able to make you stand before Pharaoh as a God and make him look at you like a God and Pharaoh to be your prophet. Those aren't the reasons. And God reveals to Moses what the reason is. In verse 4, chapter 7, God tells Pharaoh, tells Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And what is the reason for that? In verse 3, but I 
will harden Pharaoh's heart. Even though I multiply all of my signs and my witnesses, he's not going to listen to you. Even though you have adequate stature that he should listen to you, and even though I present you as a God-like figure before him, all of those things will not matter because I am going before you and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, I admit that's difficult to understand. I admit that it's hard to accept. Yet this is not the first time that Moses has been told what he planned to do. In fact, the Lord told Moses back on the mountain, let's turn back to chapter 4. Uh, just flip a page or two back. Chapter 4, verse 21. Chapter 4, verse 21. Moses is, 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 is coming down from the mountain. He's got the, the staff in hand. And in verse 21, the Lord says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I've put into your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. Moses had been told this, but Moses was not hearing it because he had a problem inside his own heart. Like Pharaoh, he was not hearing and responding because Pharaoh, like Moses, had allowed pride to escalate in his heart so that he could not hear what God was saying. I liken pride to like a really bad case of earwax buildup. You might laugh, and you should laugh. James uses this exact word picture in his little letter in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. James says this, he says, Let every person be quick to hear... Therefore, put away all filthiness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That little word translated filthiness, that little word filthiness, I think there's a slide for this, is there not? Is there a slide for this, Caleb? Thank you. That little word filthiness is in its most exact usage, it's actually the word for wax or ear dirt. And it is sometimes used figuratively for all the kinds of gross things that come out of a human being. And Moses, I would like to say, has got a buildup of filthy pride in his spiritual ears. And I believe that Pride will cause you not to listen. Now, Moses did not want to listen. He didn't want to receive with meekness, with humility, the word that God had been telling him. Look, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and it's going to be difficult, and this is what to expect. Moses wasn't hearing it because he wasn't receiving the word of God with meekness. He was not receiving it in such a way that he would act upon it. He had filthiness in his ear. 
have you ever been to the doctor to have earwax removed? Just let me tell you. They have a big syringe. And it's filled with water. Now, thankfully, they use warm water. How do I, how do I know this? I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but they, 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 they jack your ear so full of, of water that it presses out the wax so that, wow, you can hear again. I think it's a tremendous word picture. And Moses had a filthiness, an earwax problem, because pride was impeding his hearing. Now, I think it's helpful to acknowledge that neither Pharaoh nor Moses were exempt from pride. They both had the same problem. They both were not willing to hear because they thought themselves superior to the word of God. And I want to encourage you to take note that all of us, all of us, are not disposed to hear. We are all by nature proud. And it's a sin nature that we inherit from our forefathers that, that manufactures more and more pride. And it's just coming out our ears. And Pharaoh becomes to us an object lesson. Moses was an object lesson. Pharaoh becomes a grand object lesson of what happens when our natural depravity is permitted free reign. Our ears become so impacted. So it actually, in this case, Pharaoh's ears are so impacted, his pride is so stubborn, it will cost him the life of his firstborn. Think about how stubborn you have to be in order to allow your son, your firstborn son, to be snuffed out and taken from you. I think it's important for us to understand that by nature, grace is grace. God is under no obligation to relieve you of your wax. And believers and unbelievers need to take seriously our sin nature and the answer for believers and unbelievers is actually the same. We have to look to the cross continually to examine what's truly in our hearts. Our hearts are so filled with pride, we need the Spirit to bring us the humility we need. And I think that looking to the cross can tell us three things. And we're going to look at these as we walk through this account this morning. That first, we cannot save ourselves from our own sin nature. It was our sin, secondly, that put God's firstborn on the cross and put him to death. And God's grace, though, is greater than all of our sin. And if we think about these as solves in order to moisten and relax the wax that's built up within our ears, we'll be much better for it. And we ought all of us to take our sin nature seriously and that's the first step to hearing God's word and hearing the voice of God speak deeply within our hearts. Now, verses 26 to 30, we're going to look at this, and I want to show you these three things that are, are, are necessary that leads us to the third, kind of like we're moving towards a crescendo of the third, the third being that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. We all have a sin nature. 
Pharaoh had a sin nature. Moses had a sin nature. We all have a sin nature. And we cannot save ourselves from our sin nature. That is fundamental. We have to receive this and accept it and believe it and keep returning to it. Because sometimes pride comes back again and we think that we're doing okay and we can save ourselves. He that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And in these verses, verse 26 through 30, we have, I believe, an instance of literary recapitulation. To recapitulate means to summarize, to repeat, to restate something. It's a way of emphasizing a point. Now, I'm not sure how many would have reread you know, coming before this, this service, reread where we were in context. But in chapter 6, before the genealogy that you see in chapter and verse 14, we see this happening and playing out again in which, which Moses says to the Lord, look, how then shall Pharaoh, in verse, um, verse 12, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me since I am of an uncircumcised lips? And then we have this genealogy, and it's like, okay, now we have this repetition of the same things. And this is a way of restating something significant that we need to grasp before we move into the next major section. Moses' sin nature is ever before him. And it will continue to be with him even as he stands in the presence of Pharaoh. Moses had said to the Lord, I am of an uncircumcised lip when he was in a place of discouragement. He blames himself over an inability to be adequate partner in this mission. Now Moses was not wrong in identifying his own inadequacy. Moses is also, though, in the sense wrong that he identifies Pharaoh's reason for resistance. But he is right about his own sin nature. And I want to remind you of the scriptures which reinforce this truth. That nothing good dwells within our fleshly nature. Even as believers, we have a new sense of awareness. We still, though, have within us, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 18... For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now Moses had learned that if he trusted himself over God's word, it would be devastating for him. Remember, he, he said no to the Lord three times I, I, I don't want to go to Pharaoh's court and then he came down from the mountain and the Lord met him in the way and was going to slay him he nearly lost his life because he was resisting God and yet God was merciful in order to teach him the significance of hearing and obeying his word but Moses is very aware that the corrupting 
sin nature is still present within him. His sin nature, to use another analogy, is, is like an iceberg. Often we only see the tip, but there's nine-tenths of it still underneath of the surface. There's more underneath the surface than you really are aware of, and he was becoming more sensitive to it. He, like Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 6, 5, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I believe that we fundamentally need to own the fact that none of us can escape the corruption of our sin nature apart from Christ. We have all inherited a sin nature that comes directly from Adam. And I want to encourage you loved ones. None of us can escape this. Our nature is thoroughly corrupted. And apart from the grace of God, we will go the way of Pharaoh and we will go the way of Moses unless the Lord intervenes. And we desperately need the Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts. I don't know if you've ever personally, I hope you have personally, experienced the severe conviction of the Holy Spirit when you have sinned. I'll tell you, I'm not going to go into any detail, but a couple of weeks ago, I was reading the scripture, and I felt the burning, searing heat of conviction over sin that I was fluffing over. It was a heavy conviction. And in that moment, it was all I could do but say, yes, Lord, I am that sinful. And that heavy conviction is, is to remind you that you can't save yourself on your own. You need the Holy Spirit, you need the blood of Christ to save you. You need the power of the Spirit to give you new affections so that you don't love the wickedness that exists around us. It's dangerous not to heed the word of the Lord because a hardened heart will actually lead us to hell. Pharaoh's heart was hardened and it led him to hell. I want you to consider verses 1 through 7 of this chapter, and I want you to see how that it was our sin that put God's firstborn to death. I'm thinking broadly of the whole narrative here of the ten plagues. And all the plagues that fell upon Egypt moved toward the climactic tenth plague which brings about the death of the firstborn of Egypt. And all of these point to the greater firstborn, the Lord Jesus Christ. The cause of this death of firstborn, though, was Pharaoh's refusal 
to hear with an attitude of genuine repentance. And I want you to note that what God says in verse 4 is that he will lay his hand upon Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, and then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And through the successive plagues, the Egyptians are going to come to know that Yahweh, or the Lord, is the true God. In verse 5, he says, uh, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. But by the time they know that Yahweh is the Lord, it's going to be too late for them. By then, the pounding down of the seawalls will be upon them, and it will be too late. And it will be their sin that brings about their own demise, and the cost of their sin is their own lives. But I would like to encourage you with this realization that for those who do not persist stubbornly in their sin, but turn wholeheartedly to the Lord for forgiveness, there is a lamb that has been sacrificed for you. There is a firstborn that has been sacrificed so that you might have everlasting life and find release from the sin that has kept you in bondage. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear me talk about the plagues not as plagues, but as blows. Plagues, although they demonstrate the supreme power of God, they're more appropriately looked at as chastisements. Chastisements. In fact, the word that is translated in English as plague is done so because because the early languages of Latin and Greek were the first translations. And the word plague was the closest that they could do at that time. But the word plague has within it kind of the connotation of like a random, like an act of God that's unexplainable. And it's less accurate, though, to describe what is happening to Pharaoh. The word actually in the Hebrew has within it the concept of chastening of punishment punishment with the idea of getting someone to change course to make adjustments to what they're doing and so these plagues are not random they have a purpose and they're better understood as chastisement for persistent willful disobedience pharaoh is going to become compliant and I think it's important if we don't frame this as chastisement it will make us resentful to what God is doing Pharaoh is disobedient and he has struck blow after blow after blow and it is only when the final blow comes the final blow in which he loses the life of his loved one is he compelled to act? 
God demanded release of his people. Yet Pharaoh would not listen. He said no. He sinned. And he continued to sin. And the blows kept coming. And Pharaoh did not yield. And God's patience was tested. Now chastening, I want to pause here for a moment. Chastening is a parental method that's advocated and required in the word of God. It's the practice of intentionally making the way of little sinners hard so that they learn that there is consequence if they persist in the chosen path that they've identified, that they think is better off rather than listening to the word of the parent or to the, the word of God itself. It teaches children that if they harden their hearts to God, it could be disastrous for them. I would like to say that in some ways we could think about Pharaoh and we could think about Israel as being like brothers. God's firstborn, Israel, is singled out for service. Pharaoh ought to have permitted his brother to go. Pharaoh is, though, like a rebellious son. And in the law, in Deuteronomy 21, there are specific consequences that are laid out in Scripture for a son who will not listen. If a son persistently rebels and they will not obey the voice of their father or mother, they were, they were identified as being a public detriment. And the father and mother were directed in law to bring their rebellious son to the elders and declare this, that this our son is stubborn and he is rebellious. He will not obey our voice and he's a glutton, he's a drunkard. Now this may come as remarkably harsh to our ears, but then the law was required that all the city would gather around and stone that one to death with stones. Now, that sounds awfully harsh. I think that if that occurred once, many children would take notice. It was intended as a deterrent. Yet think about it. That was to warn a child that if they were to continue and persist in the rebellious attitude that one day this wouldn't just be a, a loss of their physical life. This could potentially separate them from God for all of eternity in hell. Christ in his ministry asked, which is worse? To have your eye plucked out or to have your hand cut off? And have your physical body still persist in this world? Or to have intact everything and then enter into eternity lost in hell forever which is better it's the same truth it's the same concept now i would like to say that like the incurable the incorrigible son in deuteronomy pharaoh is a lot like that son who finally had to be led out to be stoned but in his case, the stoning did not come with physical... It came with a torrent of, of water crashing down upon him. After he said, okay, uncle, I'll let your people go, he went mad. 
and decided, I'm going to chase those people down and try to, like, get them to be my slaves again. But that's what our sin nature does. If we persist and say no to God, we will lose our minds. And we will go mad, thinking that we can outflank God. Sun Tzu, in his Art of War, said that you can use your opponent's pride to your own advantage. You can actually let your own enemy kill themselves. God doesn't have to do anything. He just has to get out of the way. And Pharaoh goes right to his own end. On that low and high note, though, it's important for us to understand that there is grace and that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. I want to show you, I'm excited to show you how I see this in the next miracle, the first miracle demonstration in front of Pharaoh. And, and, and I think I'll be brief here, but let's read what happens. In verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. And Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. And still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This is the first miracle. It's famous, and it's pretty straightforwardly presented, except that it's not. Pharaoh's magicians imitate in the world did they do that i wonder if they maybe had learned how to train a snake to stiffen and then when relaxed when set on the ground it would do its thing and when picked up again maybe they learned some method of of, of working uh, with snakes but obviously there was a meaning meaning here that was lost on pharaoh Pharaoh ought to have taken into account the superiority of God's snake staff. It ate up the magician's snake staff. And I want to point out that the snake is a very important motive that runs all through Scripture. You see a snake in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, beautiful untainted satan fills and comes and joins himself with a snake and brings sin into this world the snake goes all the way to the cross in fact in the wilderness israel rebelled against god by engaging in sexual immorality and god sent vipers in as punishment chastisement and it, and, and and there was an opportunity of relief given Moses was told by God to fashion a bronze serpent snake and stick it up on a pole and hold it up 
And if anyone would look to that snake and admit that it was their sin that had caused their suffering, would look to the snake, then they would be healed. Christ, speaking to Nicodemus, said, Look, even the Son of Man must be lifted up in, in, so that you might have eternal life. Let me read what he actually said. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Christ was made sin for us. And he absorbed the sins of all that went before him. Swallowed them up even. And I see in this miracle, Mo Pharaoh could, probably doesn't understand everything that I just explained. But he should have instantly recognized that Moses' God is greater than his God's. And I see in this the, the future truth that, that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. It can absorb all of our sin. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. See, Pharaoh and Israel were like brothers and God's firstborn had been singled out to, to leave and go and serve. And he should have been listening. He should have been responding and what would have happened had Pharaoh humbled himself when he saw his own snake being gobbled up? He should have seen the handwriting on the wall. And if you think about brothers and you think about the stories of the scripture, there is a sense in which Pharaoh, if he had have been like the prodigal son, if he had have humbled himself, God would have received him. think about the youth who left home he got into such difficulty and such trouble because he he wanted what he wanted not what God wanted he wasted all of his life's savings his parents his father's savings on riotous living and he ended up in the pig pen famous uh, radio teacher J. Vernon McGee said this he said you know the difference between the son and the pig pen and the pig? The difference is that no pig has ever said to himself, I will arise and go to my father. And he's right. Only true sons of God will rise up and say, I have sinned. All believers, even prodigals, are not enemies of our Heavenly Father, but children. And it's true sons who will take their sin nature seriously. They will humble themselves. They will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They will turn to the cross. And they will keep turning to the cross all of their lives. And I believe that as we approach the, the blows of chastisement that are leveled against Pharaoh, we're getting a early indicator about the necessity of taking our sin nature seriously because that's the very first step to hearing God's voice.
We cannot save ourselves from our own sin nature. It was our own sin that put him on the cross. And thankfully, God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Let's pray.